Someone told me that I could DVR a movie, and I don't even know how to do a DVR. I, can, I can't even do this, but uh, Pastor Saab believes I can preach, so we'll give it our best shot by the grace of God. I'd like to please um, draw upon First Thessalonians, the first chapter. I was listening, oh, back in February to a Pentecostal preacher out of Seattle, Washington. His name is Dr. Alex Rollins. He's originally from South Africa. And uh, he was preaching from this text, and I had been seeking the Lord concerning what to work with scripturally from our morning pulpit. And First Thessalonians had been kind of gnawing at me. And when I heard Dr. Rollins, it became uh, uh, confirmed to me that there were truths in this text that we needed to hear. So it is with privilege I draw upon 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, beginning with Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction you know how we lived among you for your sake you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son Jesus from heaven whom he raised from the dead the same Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath would you pray with me please 
O gracious and merciful Father, it is a beautiful privilege that we are given and with which we are entrusted. You have given to us by your grace this word. You entrust it into our care, entrusting us to us the task of, of, of teaching it and of passing it on and of sharing it beyond our walls and with all those with whom we come into contact. So Lord, may your word dwell richly within us to such an extent, we pray, that we will be enabled to become embodiments of your word. A word that is living and active at play in and through our lives with full use and application of our bodies and of our hearts and minds with wills in complete submission and surrender to the Holy Spirit. Your word tells us to keep in step with him. And so, Father, bless this word now to, to, to our lives and grant to me, by way of an anointing of the Holy Spirit, the means and capacity to speak with clarity and with conviction and to all fruitfulness. I thank you for the privilege and we thank you together for the blessing. And we commend our lives to you that we will also be a blessing one to the other and to all around us, in and through, and for the sake and glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And amen. You know, I, I have just, I want to focus upon a couple of verses in the text, but I'm feeling led to share this. Perhaps I should have done so during the testimony portion of the service, but a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were down at the Oregon Diner. It's in the deepest uh, sector of South Philadelphia. It's a lovely diner. You can get a lovely meal. And my wife went to the ladies' room, and she came back. You have to go around the corner and down the hall. She came back, and she, she knows I love the music of Frank Sinatra. So she said, there was a man sitting over there with his family, and he was telling them about Frank Sinatra. I said, oh really? I have to meet this man. So now I have to use the lavatory, so I took the stroll around the bend, and the restroom's over this way, and the family's sitting over here. So I went over to them. I, I may not be able to put this thing on my ear for the life of me, but I do know how to approach people. And I said, excuse me, sir, and he looked up at me. I said, are you the guy who likes Frank Sinatra? He says, oh, that was your wife. I said, yes, it was. So we started talking. He introduced me to his wife and daughter. Well, let's just say that one thing led to the next. And before you knew it, I was being afforded an opportunity to share the gospel with them. The young lady, their daughter, had had a brutal day. I don't know all of the ins and outs, but they told me she was just badly hurt uh, emotionally. And I asked her if I could pray with her, and she was a little gun-shy. And mommy and daddy said, oh, you must let him pray. Let the pastor pray. And we all held hands and we prayed together. And I always carry scripture, courtesy of the Philadelphia Bible Society. I was able to put scripture in their hands. And I, I tell you, to go, well, 
We didn't go directly from Frank Sinatra to Jesus Christ. There was an in-between conduit. We went from Frank Sinatra to the Italian mob to Jesus Christ because right around the corner there was a booth where apparently in the 1960s one of the leading mob figures killed somebody in cold blood. It was vicious. But it's like a tourist spot to see where this played out. And so I think because he was just pleased to tell me that anecdote. I don't know why. But that afforded me an opportunity to keep the conversation going and try to redirect to the gospel. Because now we're going from darkness, not the man telling the story, but the anecdote itself, to light. It made for a beautiful segue. And by the time I left his family, they were almost in tears. They were, they were saying how much they might wish to visit our church. People mean that when they say it in the immediate, you know. But it was such a splendid opportunity, and it taught me something about my role out and about. You do what Christ did, and you do what Paul did. You take whatever is before you. I mean, Jesus used natural imagery, didn't he? He used, he drew upon flowers and he drew upon agricultural things. I always felt badly for his stepfather, Joseph. Joseph taught him the tools of the trade to be a carpenter. And Jesus seemed to be more of a naturalist than he was uh, technical or mechanical. But so be it. Mary, his mother, if you stop and think about it, I mean, she had no formal education. And yet she was an exquisite and gifted poetess. What else do we call the Song of Mary or, or the Magnificat? It's a magnificent poem. She had the soul of a poet. And Jesus had the soul of a naturalist. But thanks be to God, he was the Son of God who came for a purpose. But he and Paul used the material at hand. Paul, when he went to Athens and spoke to the Athenian philosophers, he quoted from Athenian philosophical thought. They tapped into what was before them. The things that filled the minds and the worlds of the people to whom they were directing their ministry, they had ready-made material. So on that given day, I had Frank Sinatra, I had the Italian mob, and that made for a marvelous segue into the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't use what's before us, we don't have connections with people. I mean, Jesus is our connection to the Father. And you and I become the connections to Christ with the world. And as I read this, please, and of course we're talking more internally of the church in this text, but I think there are lessons evangelistic as well. But if you look, please, at verse, verses, plural, 5 and uh, 6 and even 7, you discover f at least four qualities or commodities or, or characteristics of the Thessalonian believers that Paul deems to be so significant that he cites them. And as I read through them, I think they're worthy for us to consider because I think we need to be uh, embodying these things as well. So the first thing out of the starting gate, Paul says, you remember how we lived amongst you. You remember our character. 
I remember hearing something, it was one of these TV talk shows. Usually they're so shrill and shallow, but this particular interview, I remember the lady, she was some kind of Christmas expert. That's a whole new ball game in life. She, and and uh, she was saying that, you know, when your children grow up, they won't necessarily remember what you did. They won't remember what kind of food necessarily was on the table. But they will remember how you celebrated Christmas. Well, the Thessalonian believers remembered how Paul and Silas and Timothy were amongst them. That is, they remembered their character. Their character was motivated by and suffused with, it was given direction by the character of Christ. Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we read, that you remember our character as we came amongst you for what purpose? I quote, to help you. Now one of my concerns, and I speak as an evangelical Christian, I try to go beyond merely that, that description. You can get typecast or you can typecast yourself. I have found Christ in all means and circles of, of, of Christendom. Some of the dearest Christian people I know are at the pastoral center down at Saint the Cathedral Basilica uh, in, in, uh, on the Ben Franklin Parkway or pop up to New York City, Times Square Church or the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I praise God for such places where the Spirit of God dwells. It's not simply or solely within Protestant evangelicalism or even more of a finely tuned subset of Pentecostalism though praise God he's there as well so so uh, I find a, a, a pitfall amongst my evangelical compatriots for the last 50 years we've been trying to meet needs now praise God when needs get met but meeting needs doesn't necessarily translate into making disciples. And I can tell you of a story coming out of, I believe it was Asia, huge sums of money and all kinds of ver uh, missionaries of various stripes, medical and educational and the like, they were just pouring their resources and their efforts into this one area. And there was very little by way of uh, uh, people coming to Christ to show for it. And this has been playing out for years. And one of the leaders of the community finally spoke up and he said, I'll tell you what the problem is. You're doing everything you can for us and we're grateful. But it seems to mean more than, than, than what drives you. It's, it, Jesus is being hidden by all you're doing. They were so busy doing things that the people to whom they were ministering weren't necessarily seeing Jesus because they were in the way. Meeting need is wonderful. But it's the presence of God that draws. I've learned the hard way as a pastor. I meet people's needs and they, as soon as I can't meet them anymore, they're gone. They move on to the next spot that seems to hold more promise. And what's happening is that Christians now become shopping mall Christians rather than dedicated, faithful, committed believers. We like that preacher down there better. We like that musician over there better. They've got a better program over here. Oh, that church has air conditioning. You know, I, we didn't used to have air conditioning. And I come from Boston and I like cold air. So the fact that we're in the 70s right now, I'm sorry, I don't like it. You guys must love it, but I don't. 
So I'm in the church this morning and my head is dripping with sweat because it's warm outside and it's 74 degrees in here and I'm just dripping with sweat. But you know, before we ever had air conditioning, I used to think to myself, what a wonderful thing to have if we could have air conditioning. Well, the church burns down and now with codes and regulations, you need air conditioning. Praise God, you get air conditioning. Let me tell you something. Ever since we got air conditioning, I'm still sweating when I preach because all the ladies in the church, God bless their souls, they're always hot or cold. And so I have to be hot when I preach. So you can meet needs. My need got met. We got air conditioning and I'm still sweating. The need that is to be met first and foremost from which all other needs will be extracted is the need to know the Savior and to come into the presence of Almighty God. It's why Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I say that ironically because we've just begun this month a, a, a whole new a series of monthly luncheons or dinners bringing various strata and stripe of Christians together. As a matter of fact, I'm so pleased next month in honor of all of my radio guests, we'll be bringing pastors and ministers from the urban areas of Philadelphia up here to the suburbs to share with us. We'll have several... Praise God. There are several Roman Catholic priests who I know love Jesus. They'll be here with us. There are so many chasms, black and white, urban, suburban, Catholic, Protestant. There are some genuine differences and we have non-negotiable convictions. I get it. But we're supposed to be embodying Jesus Christ. People are to look to our character and they're to see Christ. Christ was one with the Father, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, but one God. And we have innumerable fellowships and a legion of congregations and any number of parishes. God has called us still to be one. We may have differences. I love what Paul says in Colossians. He says, if there's a difference amongst you, in time, for those of you who are mature, God will make it known. Instead, we choose to fight and argue. People need to see the character of Christ in our lives. This doesn't mean compromise. I'm in a situation right now where we're fighting compromise against the encroachment of the world into the church within my broader denomination. It's staggering how many pastors and the like will, will cave. They'll, they'll diminish and, and denude the word of God of its power for some kind of ephemeral unity. Unity is to be had in Christ and in the Word. He's the Word made flesh. And it's the character of the Word that people are to see in our lives. It's what they saw in Paul. It's what they saw in Silas or Silvanus, if some of the translations will put it. It's what they, see, they saw in Timothy. Because they knew instinctively and by experience that these men did not come amongst them to profit by them, but to help them. That's the beautiful thing. I remember working for the Billy Graham team back in the early 90s. The Graham team would only come into a city when a certain percentage of the churches signed on to the crusade. 
They wanted a certain percentage of the Protestant churches and they very much sought after the endorsement of the Archdiocese. And when they came, it was quickly discovered by the other churches that were somewhat reluctant and suspicious. The Graham team didn't come to profit in any way, shape, or form. They didn't take money out of the town. They actually poured money into the town through a program called, I think it was called uh, something in action, whatever it was. But I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars being poured into small ministries throughout the city of Philadelphia. Even the most hardened leftist secularists in the city had to reckon with the character of Billy Graham and his crusade team and the work of the ministry. And I saw it close up. I was so close to that crusade, they had me sitting up on the platform on the final day, two, week, uh, two rows behind Billy Graham. It was extraordinary. The character. And there's nothing I want more than for the character of Christ to be uh, manifest, made manifest through the life of what I call my lovely little fellowship. Small, seemingly insignificant little fellowship, and yet the waves that we can make for the cause of Christ, not by virtue of who we are, but by virtue of who He is in us. And I've often said that nobody in this borough ever has to be lonely. I mean, that's a great epidemic now. No one ever need be lonely as long as this lovely little fellowship or now a second lovely little fellowship is in place because the presence of God draws men and women to himself. It's the presence of Christ, it's the character of Christ at play amongst us that makes all of the difference. You remember our character, you remember how we lived amongst you for your sake that we could help you. What's made the difference here? We've been through the fires in this church. I've been through three schisms where God's people established battle lines. The devil gets a hand in, in things. What made the difference? The ones who came amongst us and they asked me a question. You know what that question was? You only need one guess. Pastor, how can I help? They came to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They came to serve. So when a lady named Margaret, a.k.a. Peggy, came amongst us in 1992, by a lady named Eva, well known to Pastor and, and to his dear wife, and a gentleman by the name of Ted, now deceased, gone to be with the Lord, came amongst us. They all sought to serve. And when crisis struck, they held the line. And they allowed the gospel to carry the day so that others could come alongside of them and after them to receive Christ and the saving message of the gospel. When the church burned down by fire, you know, one day folks will be behind this wall. But when the church was laid waste by fire in 2005, the year, and I, by that time I had figured it out, the year before, Peggy had been with us all along, God brought a man by the name of Brother Paige Tyler. You've met Brother Paige. He's now in North Carolina, but he still remains very active with us in his own unique ways. 
And God brought Eva back, now with a man named Ed, where they had been doing service in Africa. And I remember when, when they brought in, they came back in by 2004. I remember back to 91 and 92. And I knew something was coming, but I didn't know what it was. Because I knew I, it had all the hallmarks of God putting servants in place. Lo and behold, one beautiful morning, the church is burning down. And they stood with me. And we weren't even faced by that fire. Because God had raised up a group of servants who held the line by showing the character of Christ. You know, I boast in Christ for this, but our architect, who has since become a very dear friend of mine, he should be with us at next month's luncheon for the radio. He's remained my close personal friend. He tells me that this is the only church wherein he ever, with whom he ever worked, wherein the leadership of the church did not break down into argument and fighting. Why is that? By the grace of God, the character of Christ at play in the lay leadership that God had raised up. You know, you remember how we lived amongst you for your sake. All of these servant leaders of the church were people and remained people who would walk with you at 3 o'clock in the morning through the deepest, darkest thoroughfare through hell if it meant bringing you into closer proximity to Jesus Christ. I remember how they lived amongst us for our sake. After all, I'm the pastor. My... my <laughs> Forgive me the way I'm going to put this. It was my beautiful bottom on the line, right? They stood with me. Praise the Lord. Number two, you became imitators of us. And the operative phrase is forthcoming. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. I was sharing with my people this morning that when I was at seminary, Gordon Conwell, theological, north of Boston, it was a merger of the Gordon Divinity School of Boston, named after A.J. Gordon of My Jesus, I Love Thee, and the Conwell School of Theology here in Philly at Temple. A lot of people don't realize it. Most of the students who attend Temple are oblivious, but Temple University was founded by a Baptist preacher by the name of Russell Conwell. He wanted young Christian men to be able to have an affordable so-called higher education. Well, Temple reached a point they wanted nothing to do with the gospel and they were selling off the seminary. It became, there was a merger and they, they took on an old Catholic Carmelite setting up on the north shore of Boston. So I'm up there and I have a lovely new friend from Connecticut and I noticed something one day. He started imitating me. If I crossed my leg, my left leg, he crossed his left leg. If I crossed my right leg, he crossed my, his right leg. If he tried to cross his left leg while standing up like this and had a hand, uh, something to lean on, he did it too. If I crossed my right leg and had nothing to lean on and fell to the floor, he fell to the floor. <laughs> he was imitating me. Now, it was charming on the one level. There was something about me, I don't know what it was to this day, but it was charming because there was something he found in me that, that was to him pleasing. It also became embarrassing because it was utterly unnatural and eventually he broke ranks with it and our friendship blossomed without that. 
But I mention it, a kind of humorous, uh, charming example, because in more of a more sober and, and frankly increasingly mature way, we're supposed to be able to emulate one another. I should be able to see Christ in you and walk away knowing how better to live. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Colossians 1 that, that we are to, to... Paul says that, I, that you may live a life worthy of God and please Him in every way. So we're supposed to be living worthy, honorable lives that bring glory to Christ. I need to be able to see that in you. We had a man here once, many years ago, back in the 90s. He was rather, he, he was given his best shot, and he loved Jesus. And he, he, but I remember he said something. He was a deeply wounded soul. And the church was much different back then. And he said something to me very poignant. He says, you know, Brad, I should be able to look to the older constituents of the church and feed spiritually off of them. I mean, later in Thessalonians, the second chapter, Paul says to them, he says, you remember how we were amongst you. We were like mothers, nurturing for you, caring for mother, like mothers, caring for their children. We were like fathers, exhorting and urging you, a kind of parental regard or concern. So, the ideal, the standard, the goal, the aspiration is that you can see Christ in me. And I can see Christ in you. And we can mutually profit. Let us do all things that lead to mutual edification, says the great apostle. So if I see something in you, it doesn't mean I take on your personality. This is the beauty of the gospel. You know, one of the, with these luncheons, one of the, the, there's an end game to it. I'm in a, a role right now, in my role with the Philadelphia Bible Society. I serve as its president. We're a small ministry that freely distributes the Word of God through booklets and leaflets and the like. I meet a lot of Christians from this city and all around. In my role as a radio host, I have the privilege of doing a broadcast for Talk Radio 1210 for the Gospel. I'm meeting all kinds of people. I'm at this nexus. And so the end game of these luncheons and dinners is to bring Christians together who would not otherwise be together. It's very rare that suburban and urban churches meet. And yet next month I'm going to have several pastors and leaders from urban churches in the deepest sectors of the city here to join us, amongst others. It's a beautiful thing. We need to be profiting by one another in the Lord. So I don't necessarily become Pastor Sa personality-wise. No one could imitate Pastor Sa, a very suave, debonair, humble man. But I can, I can, if I can see Christ in him. You see, we're told in the Bible that we are made in the image of God. That means each and every one of us. God would reveal himself through your distinct personality. As he would mine. Infinite variegation. No two fingernails or fingerprints are alike, are they? No two snowflakes are alike, are they? I'm a lover of cats. No two cats look alike ever in the history of all creation. You put every single cat God ever created down the line through history. None of them look alike. They all have, it's an infinite variegation of, of, of design and appearance. So the Spirit of God 
can make himself quite at home in who you are. But then again, who you are, he wants to bring you to a place where, where you become like him. You know Mother Teresa? You know what was said of her? Before she came to Christ. Now I, I met the lady. Well after she knew Christ. I met her. The, the, the spiritual beauty was utterly compelling. It was as if she was illuminated from within. And I exaggerate not. If ever I saw the beauty of Christ in a human being, it was Mother Teresa. But it was said of her pre-Christ... That if she hadn't come to Christ, and Christ hadn't uh, adorned her life, and the Spirit of Christ hadn't begun the process of sanctification, because after all, Mother Teresa always, she was very aggressive on behalf of the poor, very assertive on behalf of lepers. But it was said that pre-Christ she would have been nothing more than a grasping, vulgar fishmonger. Well, she became a grasping, mongering fisher of men. And, and it was distinctly and decidedly Mother Teresa, not Brad Lacey. But to see Christ in her, it's the same Christ that I'm called to, for you to see in me. And down the line, no two of us alike, and yet manifesting the features of the same Savior, who is Jesus. So Paul, they say, the Thessalonians of Paul, or forgive me, Paul says of them, you became imitators of us because of the Lord in us. That is so significant. I've known many churches. They have, I mean, they're known for their doctrine. Look, let me be honest with you. I've been involved in a project called Voices of Philadelphia. Pastor Sa has read 2 Peter. And it will get, it'll get edited uh, by the summertime. We're using known voices throughout the city, radio and, and the like, to speak the Word of God to those who would not otherwise listen. There are plenty of audio Bibles, praise God for them. But there are many people who wouldn't pay attention at all to the Word, except they hear a voice they know reading it, and they want to hear it because they trust that voice. So we're using known voices. So I reached out to several radio people at the talk radio stations and the classical jazz station, and I reached out to, to pastors, uh, uh, black pastors, some of the big-name pastors in the city, and, and uh, one of the big neo Calvinist uh, churches in the city, very prestigious globally. I reached out to everybody. What staggered me was that the most prestigious Protestant church, evangelical church in this town, grace-oriented theology, it will remain nameless, grace-oriented theology was less than gracious when it responded to me. I did not encounter Christ in them. For all of their doctrine that, that makes the rounds academically and, and, and denominationally around the world, I didn't get Christ from them. Whatever my differences with the Basilica theologically, I got Jesus from them. I, I cannot avoid that reality. Where you find Christ, you give me or you afford me an opportunity to imitate you because it parlays into being one that who imitates the Lord. And there's nothing that I can say to you that is of greater significance. You want me to compliment you? My wife will tell you I'm, I'm a complimenter. 
I believe in encouraging people and part of one way you can do that is to compliment. So ladies, if you're wearing a lovely uh, dress with beautiful colors, I'm going to compliment you. All right, uh, uh, gentlemen, I'm a tie and handkerchief man. If I, I love your, I noticed your handkerchief, Pastor, the minute you walked in the room. It's, it's nice, okay? Yeah. <laughs> if you have a personality that is warmly disposed or, or the like, I'm going to acknowledge it and thank you for it. You know, I, there was a lady just the other day, she had a, my, my mother had a beautiful persona over the telephone. And I don't hear much of that anymore. But the other day there was a lady I had to pay a bill that was late, so I'm you know I'm having to be I'm I'm having to be gracious to her, right? She's being super gracious with me. I had to tell her. I said, Miss, I want to thank you. You have such a decidedly beautiful persona over the telephone. I'm so grateful to you. So I believe in, in, in affirming one another, the finest compliment I can pay you is to say, brother or sister, in you. I see Jesus. There is no finer compliment. I'm an old movie buff. So I, I there's, and in the old days, you know, you, the, the women were very glamorous. And I, I'm, I'm all for uh, feminine beauty. But I put Sophia Loren through airport security and with every respect she was beautiful. But not holding a candle though to Mother Teresa who manifested the beauty of Christ. I mean, it wasn't even a contest. I long for the day when someone says of me, in you, Pastor Lacey, I see Jesus. Long for that day. Number three, you welcomed the message in spite of much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but these Thessalonian believers are growing on me big time. You welcomed the message. I'm very fortunate here. I know pastors in very morbid or spiritually discouraging situations. We had a pastor up the street when I first came here in Plymouth Meeting. His congregants now, I think the pastor was bringing some things to the table as well. But his congregants would set their, you know, the, the watches, they can go off with, a, with an alarm. It's 30 years ago and they had them. 20 minutes into his sermon, every congregant in the congregation, the, 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 the alarm went off on their phones. Every week. They were telling him, you're done. Now, he wasn't prepared to go that much longer. But I remember in my early days, I'm preaching 25 minutes to a half hour. Pastor, you're going too long. Now, I'm young. I don't have much experience, so I have to take a look and assess. Maybe I'm, you know, young guys can sometimes be repetitive, whatever. You've got to take a look at what you're doing. It's not so much that one is going too long as one has to allow one's articulation of the message to, to mature. I discovered it wasn't that I was going too long. In fact, I joked the other day on the radio with a man by the name of Jeff King. I had him almost guffawing. He's the president of International Christian Concern, which is a watchdog ministry to the persecuted believers around the world. Jeff's a wonderful man. And I shared this story with him. And I said, you know, Jeff, I won't, I won't, I won't tell you or the audience to this morning how long I go now. 
You know, like that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What goes down here stays here. You don't want to know how long I go now. <laughs> I had him laughing. But in the old days, it was merely 25 minutes and it was too long. No, no, no. They didn't want the gospel. They were obstructionists. But the Thessalonians, notwithstanding severe trial, wanted the gospel. They welcomed the message. I love my little fellowship. We welcome visitors. Visitors get assimilated into the body almost by nightfall. I mean, you can go in. Betty was in a church once for 45 years where she wasn't considered to be one of the flock. 45 years. People come here, praise God. They're members of the family almost overnight. And people who come now, and I see it here with Pastor Sa's flock, there's a desire for the Word, and it makes all of the difference. When it says you welcome the Word, there's a warmth to it. There's an engagement. There's a, there's a healthy and, and hearty desire. You welcome the Word in spite of severe affliction. Now the kind of affliction of which Paul speaks is that of persecution and we have to be honest on a first grade level, by first grade I mean not, not first grade, second grade, third grade, but at the most fundamental primary level of what Paul was speaking about when he speaks of suffering it's almost always persecution. But there are always secondary and, and, and tertiary or third level meanings so we can be suffering. I'm a cardiac guy, we'll have to talk. I was a dead man too with my cardiac. Literally, I mean, I was dead. Oh, I didn't die on the table, but I, I, it, it was about it, it 15 minutes away. And, and um, so God will work through our periods of suffering, whatever those trials may be. And I know for myself, when I came to Christ, back in 1975, I was a 14 and a half year old boy. I was nearly institutionalized because of things up here. Thankfully, two things prevented that. Number one, my mom wasn't going to hear of it. And number two, and I say this literally, Jesus Christ visited me in the privacy of my bedroom. He came to me. As, as, as real in my, in my presence as you are right now. And he never left me. And then, uh, oh, fast forward about 15, 18 years in the late 90s when things went belly up here. There had been a, a, a young people, they rebelled against us and it was nasty. And I had a lot to learn. And for a couple of years I felt like a, an abject failure that I had let God down and the church down and my, my, Lord, my, my uh, ministry down. And it was a, a kind of disciplinary period for a couple of years. It was brutal, but God disciplines those he loves. And one night up in Boston, it was Billy Graham's daughter giving the message. And I'll never forget the Spirit of God confronting me and recommissioning me into ministry. I entered the room that night, 5,000 people, a broken man. I left that night at the Heinz Convention Center in Boston's Back Bay. I left that night a restored man. And you know what I couldn't figure out? Couldn't figure out why there weren't other people dancing jigs like I wanted to. They were talking about the weather outside or where they were going to get a cup of coffee. That's all normal and natural. But I couldn't understand why they weren't struck by this word as I was. But God used that message. He spoke to me directly. And then three years ago, in fact it was the morning, let me see now, Friday morning, 
June 7 of 2016, I'm at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. One doctor in the whole world can treat me. He treated me successfully. I come home, the very night I come home, my heart goes into reaction. I can't even begin to describe what it was like. Four hours, Peggy said, let me get you to hospital. No, my dear. You just know. No, my dear, I won't make it. Four hours of prayer and, uh, later, I was okay. It erupted again in me, Sunday morning, the 16th of June, 4.20 in the morning, five times as worse. It was like a jackhammer was triggered inside my cardiac muscle. And I, I was fearful that that muscle was going to collapse, completely collapse. And by 6 o'clock, I knew I was a dead man. No man can, can withstand what I was enduring. I cried aloud to the Lord like King David. Uh, folks, I, 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 Betty, Carl, Peggy, if you get sick of hearing this, you're welcome to take a break. I, I, I'm constantly drawing upon it because I'm constantly learning from it. I cried aloud like King David to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. And I'll tell you what happened. I'm amongst Pentecostals, so you'll, you'll buy into this because it's what happened. First thing I saw when I cried aloud over here, two angels. Right here, right about where you folks are, are situated. Uh, a kind of opaque glittering light all around them. One of them seemed to be more black, the other seemed to be more Caucasian. That made perfect sense to me because my original encounter with angels as a young lad, uh, there was a series of paradoxes. One was short and stocky, the other was tall and thin, but they were the same size, go figure. They never moved, but they did. They moved with me. Go figure. Room was dark as night, and I saw them more brightly than I see you. Go figure. These are spiritual realities. And then over here, I saw two fighter jets. I assumed American, you know. <laughs> and they were converging. And as they converged, they made a beeline towards me, but I had no reason to be fearful. But they were coming at me, and as they were about ready to strike, they veered off. And the moment they veered off is the moment the critical mass of that crisis broke. I had several more hours of hellish residual, hellish. But I knew that my God had delivered me, because I wouldn't have been alive by 7 a.m. I would have been d dead on arrival at the hospital. How much I learned, and I'll tell you what I learned more than anything. I was no longer a man simply under conviction, and that's a beautiful thing unto itself. But we're always called to go to the next level, right? I was no longer simply a man under conviction. I was now, and have become, I think it's clear, a man under compulsion. Doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians that he was compelled by the love of Christ? I'm experiencing that now. So in periods of crisis, we can grow so in such extraordinary ways. God using crisis. We rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says, because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts Amen. by the Holy Spirit. Now, you were the Lord's vessel, and He wasn't finished with you. Well, I've You're here preaching to us right now today. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Yeah. Sir, it's something that strikes. There should be no time limit in any church. I agree. I listen to you all day. 
We are very gracious. And this is a, this is a truth that I'm learning now. Praise the Lord. And I'm so happy you can affirm it. It's His work in me. His mercy and grace at work in me. Praise the Lord. The Spirit abides in you. He abides in each and every one of us. Yeah. The verse 5 tells us that the Word was preached with conviction, yeah. with power. Yeah. And the word power is dynamite, dunamis. That's right. That is the Holy Spirit has come upon Him. He's come upon each and every one of us in this room. You speak of conviction. I've been reflecting upon the word and what it means. And the Lord gave this to me. I was doing a, a homily for the radio broadcast and it just dropped into my lap. It was beautiful. My wife and I drive down the uh, uh, Kelly Drive into the city quite often. Beautiful territory. Rivers on your right and it's just beautiful. And a after a, like a stormy day, the river rises and a lot of the sediment has come up from the bottom so the river looks browner than it would otherwise look. And it struck me that's what a man or woman is, of conviction is meant to be like. You have sediment that's, that's firmly grounded, if you will, into the lower terrain. Firmly fixed, but now it's flowing. It's fixed, but it's flowing. It's flowing outward, downward and outward. We're to be men and women fixed in Christ, but the Spirit of God is flowing through us. So praise the Lord for His convicting power. But then the last one I have for you, and at some point I do have to stop, <laughs> but, but I could go on. <laughs> I preach all the time yeah. when I preach, each and every week, at the end of my message. Yeah. I tell the people, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. That's right. You're not guaranteed 10 minutes from now. Amen. Are you prepared to go before the Lord if He calls you home right now? Yeah. If you're not, you need to come to Jesus today. Have you heard the story? I have a recording of it. It's about seven minutes in length. I'm going to play it, Pastor, at the April luncheon with the radio people. Um, there's a true story of a white-haired man, petite man, over on George Street in Sydney, Australia. His name escapes me in the immediate. And uh, there's an Englishman who would travel the world conducting, I think, something along the lines of discipleship gatherings. And everywhere this Englishman would conduct a, a conference, could be Atlanta, Georgia, could be London, England, could be New Delhi, India. He would ask people to share their stories, how they came to faith. Everywhere in the world he went, he would hear about this man. You're getting off the bus at the bus depot on George Street in Sydney, Australia. And they would describe him in differing but complimentary ways. This lovely young, little man, or this, this vile, disgusting man who barely rose uh, above the stop sign. Well, however, I mean, they, they all had differing impressions of him in the immediate. And he would hand them a tract. He was very gracious. He would hold out a tract. Sir or madam, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? The number of people who came to know Christ through that man. So the Englishman is going to do a conference in Sydney, Australia. So he makes inquiry to the, to the discipling group that, do you have any idea who this man is? Because everywhere in the world I go, I hear about him. We think we do. So they made inquiry and they found him. And they took this man to him. And he said, sir, 
Everywhere I go in the world, I hear about you. Do you have any idea how many people have come to Christ through your holding forth that tract and asking? That's what he did. That was his act. The man started to cry. He was dying of cancer. I think he had three weeks left. He says, I did that for 20 years. I came out of the Merchant Marine of Australia. I lived a wretched life. I came to know Christ. He redeemed me. I promised to do this. I made a covenant before him. If I was sick one day, I'd double up the next. But I never knew anything came of it. Until now. He died and went to be with the Lord. And since that time, when that story went out, hundreds of more people have publicized their story of how that man was used by God to bring them to Christ. How extraordinary. That, the, 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 that man's work has gone all over the world. And that's what point number four is. You became, this is what Paul says of the Thessalonians, you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia, but also you became a model to all believers all over the world, or at least the known world, or the, world, the extent of the world to which the gospel had gone. They were just being Christians. If you can apply the word just to being a Christian. They weren't looking to revolutionize the world. They were just looking to do their part where they were. And look how God used it. I mean, sometimes we play small ball. Look, I come from Boston. So I, up until recent times, I was a great Boston Celtics fan. 70, yes, I hate to tell you. No, I'm glad to tell you. You're going to have to deal with it, sir. <laughs> 17 championships because they played to win. Christians, we need to... I, I, oh, a dagger in the heart, right? <laughs> but they played to win. We need to be playing for the victory. But we play small ball. And I don't understand why. And I've been as guilty as the next. But I tell you something. This, level, this little church... I mean, this is a beautiful... I love this church. I love my people. A little tiny church. We're seemingly insignificant. We're, I, I don't apologize for that. The Bible says God blesses the great and the small, so he blesses us who are small. But I know he uses us. I know. And I'm going to tell you a story, and I need to wrap this up because we have some more work to do worshipfully. But um, I grew up not only as a Celtics fan, not only as an old movie buff, but my, my mom was a talk radio buff. So I grew up hearing talk radio all the time. All the time. Every night, all my life. And I just knew down deep in my soul that one day I'd have a, a role in that. I didn't know when. And since for the longest time it never seemed to come, I figured, I used to ask God, How, did I miss my calling? What happened? And uh, one day, I'm up in Maine with Peggy along the, the water, Kenny Bunkport, where the bushes have their place, and I take a phone call from a man I had met when I did radio sermons, 45-second, two 45-second sermons for Billy Graham in 92. I went up the street. He calls me 16 years later. Brad, would you like to have some radio time? You can air your sermons. So I talked to the leadership. For about three years, we did that. Uh, that we would edit them down and, and, and it aired on, it was a small watch station out of Maniunk. 
But one day I meet a man in the parking lot and we have a lovely chat. He's so respectful towards me. I didn't know at the time that he had been wrestling with alcohol. I mean, he was just down and out with booze and that he, the Lord was getting a hold of him and then he was finding his way into AA and the Lord had entered his life and I had no idea of this. I just remember the more generic chat in the parking lot. That's, that was in uh, 2010. I start, then he left to go to Talk Radio 1210. He starts calling me as early as 2015 or 16. Pastor Lacey, would you like to come on with us? I said, David, I would love to, but there's no way. We don't have the money. The church is going through some turmoil. I appreciate the offer. I would love to, but we can't. Pastor, can I keep in touch with you? Well, of course we can keep in touch. We're friends. He calls me up a year later. Same spiel. Same answer. Would love to, David, but I can't. Okay, can we keep in touch? Absolutely. Now, fast forward to 2018. There's a guy who sits here on Sunday mornings. He's a blind man. And he says to me, Brad, up the street, they want ministers to give one-minute sermons. You should go sign on. So I called them up, booked it. On a Thursday morning, I'm finalizing it at my desk because I'm running. So I shut the computer down. I'm running late. And as I, I shut the computer down, I closed it. I get up from my desk to go. And the Spirit of God, and there's a reason why I'm saying this. It connects to this. Spirit of God hits me in the chest. I felt it. Check your emails. Now, you know, you, you read in the Bible how sometimes the servants of God, you know, they're a little bit reluctant to follow God's directive. I'm not reluctant to follow his directive, but I'm kind of nickel and diamond. My Lord, I got to get up the street. <laughs> I'll check them later. He says, no, 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 you check it right now. Now, I had just said to Tony the night before, if a, the night before, I said, Tony, if a guy named Dorenzo calls me, I'm going to be on 1210. Forget 560. The night before. So I fire up the email. Guess whose name I see on the email roster? Dorenzo. I didn't even read it. I knew what it said. I went downstairs and I said to Peggy, Peggy, I'm going up to 560 right now. By the way, within three weeks, I'll be on 1210 weekly. It was within a week. I mentioned this, not to self-serve and, and promote the broadcast. This little church is now taking the gospel into 38 states and Canada. This little church that can barely pay its bills, but by the grace of God, is taking the gospel into 38 states plus Canada. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. So when I read that these Thessalonian believers, and I don't get the impression that they're wealthy or powerful, when it says that their, me their, their message and their example, it's being made known to the whole world, I get it now because God, in His infinite uh, uh, sovereign power and wisdom, can take a tiny little body of believers and magnify His message and kingdom a thousandfold or more. Because it's not by might nor by power, it's not by the number of aircraft we have, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So that's true of First Baptist Church. That's true of the house of prayer in Acts. 
That's true of any local fellowship that will allow the Spirit of God to do His work. It will be a work of disciplining. It will be a work of convicting. It will be a work of delivering. It will be a work of confronting. It will be a work of blessing. It will entail patience and endurance, but also joy and, and gladness of heart. You have to be looking at what God is doing. And you have to be keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. That is so imperative. Sometimes we lag behind the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we jump ahead of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you keep in step with Him. Last illustration, and I pray. I promise, I pray. Thank you that you'd give me all day. But I know Pastor has some business. So last illustration, and I pray. Forgive me, I use the stuff at my disposal. I'm an old movie buff. Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, you know, the dancing team. They did ten movies together. I loved it. Loved them. Astaire danced with a lady named Sid Charisse. It was magnificent. And he said when Sid danced, she danced. She was great. It's great to watch. Lovely, beautiful. He danced with another woman named Rita Hayworth, and she just was sensational. She was, would light up like a Christmas tree. He loved dancing with her. You could see it. They enjoyed one another. But when he danced with Ginger, they were like one. They just melded. They were, they were one on the floor. That's what it means to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We are one with Him. One in Him, one with Him, one for Him. The Thessalonian believers set such an example. Praise God. Praise God. May I close us with prayer. I'm an evangelist for Jesus Christ. For five years I've been preaching. I started in four nursing homes. And now I'm on the internet preaching the whole world. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And Jesus says he's not coming back from my word. That's right. He preaches the whole world. That's right. I can listen to you. I listen to TVN every day. I listen to Daytar. Mm -hmm. I listen to experienced pastors like Pastor South. My parents, I, I, I try to learn something new every day. Check out Dr. Alex Rollins out of, what's the name of the church now? Westgate Chapel in Seattle. Carter Conlon out of Times Square Church. Check them out as well. I, I promise a blessing, truly. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Let us pray. Gracious and Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for these lovely, beautiful people. They have been open and receptive to your word. And as a preacher, I know that it makes all of the difference in the world, and it will make all of the difference for the kingdom. So I pray your hand of blessing upon each precious soul here. Hallelujah. Bless them, and keep them, and utilize them, and bless them and keep them and utilize them over and over and over again. Lord, that we might be productive, efficient, and fruitful. That we might know the joy of your salvation. And that when all is said and done, we have stood our ground and we stand in the victory. All to the glory of your name. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen.